there's good news this week, especially if you're an agricultural contractor. This is the first time really that grants have been officially open to contractors. So for us, it's really exciting. Details of DEFRA's new grant scheme for farmers and contractors from Jill Hewitt from the NAAC coming up. And we'll hear about the tie-up between fast food giant McDonald's and one of the country's major agricultural educators. McDonald's, along with the NFU Morrisons, were speaking to Harper Adams about how we could use our skill set and our access to applied research and our access to students to help them deliver solutions to their problems. And of course, we've agronomy advice from Sean Sparling, Kit Dickinson from Openfield reviews the grain markets, and as the weather turns decidedly wintry, what's it got in store for us this week? The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you've had a good, if chilly, week. From the farming news, farmers and poultry keepers are being urged by the government to prepare for new mandatory housing measures requiring farmers and keepers to keep birds indoors as bird flu cases in the UK continue to increase. The order comes into force tomorrow, Monday 29th of November. Full details on the DEFRA website. The farming industry has been rather left in limbo after government plans to change trailer test requirements stalled. To increase HGV driving test capacity, the government intended to alter rules from the 15th of November to allow for those who pass their driving test after the 1st of January 97 to tow a trailer without passing a B and E category test first. But the plans failed to complete the required parliamentary process and no date's been given as to when that's likely to happen. And to make it worse, there's currently no procedure for those looking to take the test to do so. It means that without a B&E category licence, a farmer or farm worker cannot tow and there's no way of passing a test at this time. Watch this space. A couple of months into the new sugar beet campaign, we'll get a growers update in a moment. But first, Tessa Seymour from British Sugar. It's not exactly been all systems go at Newark so far this campaign. Our last uh, interview, I said it was um, we were having some issues they were all individual issues and, and it looked like it, we were going again and was running really well. And then we had issues on the weekend. So I'm hoping I am not the jinx to it. And I go, it, the factory's running really well at the moment. We're hitting some high slash numbers and it's going really well. And it better stay that way. Otherwise, I am the jinx to the process. <laughs> You're asking for trouble saying things like that, aren't you? I know, I know. That'll be it. I won't be allowed to talk again. Uh, we have, but we have. We have had some issues at Newark and... Again, it, is, it has all been independent issues, but we've had a team that's been out there working 24-7, making sure that as soon as any issues come up, they're resolving it. And, and we're finally, this week, have been quite caught really to see some really high last numbers. Uh, we almost reached 10,000 one day, which is fantastic. So we are going as quickly as we can um, so that we can make up for some lost time as well and get as much of the beet that's been harvested through the factory um, and really do everything we can for growers. But because of the higher yields as well, um, as well as the delays, we are diverting quite a bit of beet down to Whistington. So the team are concentrating on trying to get as much beet down to Whistington at the moment as well. What you've had so far, how are you looking quantity and quality wise? It is looking brilliant, to be honest, really good. So um, we've got much more normal yields um, this year compared to last year. And we've obviously not had as much uh, virus yellow. Our sugars are um, over 17.5% for the last few days. It's been really good. 
dirt tear is really low. Uh, overall quality is great. So it's a really good season, and the beat is looking fantastic, and it's really helping the fracture run really smoothly. It's great. Good, good. Is there anything that growers need to do differently to help you catch up, or will it just work its way through? I would just ask them to keep speaking to the contract managers. Um, they're on top of everything. If you've got um, any growers that need some more support uh, around anything or any hauliers or harvesters that need some support just to know what's going on, give uh, either the contract managers or myself or someone from the factory a call and, and we'll give them all the information they need. Just a reminder to have a look on Marlborough Sugar, the system that um, everyone has access to. Just they can have daily updates on what's going on as well. So if they want um, information, they can have a look on that. Um, but otherwise, we're there to support. We've got Christmas coming up as well, so we're starting to schedule all the loads in for Christmas. But again, if they just speak to the contract manager, we can get that all sorted. Tessa, thanks for the update. That's lovely. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, just um, make sure everyone keeps uh, looking after themselves and stay um, fit and healthy um, through the campaign, please. Lincolnshire grower Andrew Ward, how's this year's crop looking for you? Well, we started harvesting the sugar beet, I think it was September the 22nd or 23rd, so early, right at the start of the campaign. And we need to do that here because of the heavy soil and clay content soil, which also means we can't get on this ground in, uh, in sort of December, January. We averaged out on that one at about 89 tonnes per hectare, which again is a good harvest, a good yield for lifting early. Sugar was again really good at around 18%. We're normally about a percent higher than the factory average in this area. Why, why I don't know, but uh, we use a um, sewage sludge and various other ways we do it, but we all seem to be higher than the factory, which is great because we get paid on sugar content. For us, lifting early is, is the right thing to do. And because it's on heavy land, we tend to get better yields anyway than you would on the light land. Okay. New York factory's had a few problems this year, to say the least. Has that caused any problems to you? Yes, the, the, the factory problems meant that we couldn't have as many loads away early in the season as we wanted or as we'd normally have. So that has, in fact, sort of slowed us down a little bit. But we're lucky that we've got these concrete storage areas dotted around the farm that you've seen, Stephen. So to put the concrete on there, it means we can then carry on in the fields and carry on with the land work. So how much have you got left to lift? We, we have got 58 acres uh, left to get out the ground and that's all on the light land so we can cope with that any time of the weather so that will we'll do that probably mid-Jan but it depends a little bit when the haulier wants it and how the factory is getting on. And the weather. And the weather of course, huge thing. Fingers crossed Andrew, thanks again. Thank you very much Steve, brilliant. Last week we spoke to Jill Hewitt, Chief Exec of the National Association of Agricultural Contractors after we met at the Midlands Machinery Show and she teased some upcoming good news for contractors. Well, now we can talk about it. What's the news, Jill? The overall programme is called the Farming Investment Fund and that's split into two, the Farming Equipment and Technology Fund and the Farming Transformation Fund. And there's some good news in all this for NAAC members. Yeah, this is the first time really that grants have been officially open to contractors. So for us, it's really exciting. It's formal recognition that contractors are an important part of our modern agricultural industry. The NAC has been lobbying for this for a long time and we're delighted so if a contractor doesn't farm, they will still be able to apply for these grants. All they'll need to do is register with the Rural Payments Agency if they're not already registered with them. OK, so what can you tell me about the two different funds? The Farming Equipment and Technology Fund, it's really about grants to meet the cost of machinery and kit to improve productivity. So this is most likely to be of most interest to farmers and contractors at the moment. Grants range, I think, from £2,000 to £25,000. 
and all the details are online um, and there's a big list of machinery I think 136 pieces of kit that people can apply for okay and the other fund the other fund is the Farming Transformation Fund. It's a bigger grant, so I think the funds are between 35000 and 500000 And the, the grant that's just opened is looking at water management. So it's kind of flood, reservoirs, that kind of thing, more on-farm type projects. And what we're, what we're probably looking for in terms of our membership, there is going to be an improving farm productivity grant as part of that, which will be launched in future. There'll be more news coming on that fund. This is obviously all good news all round. Where can we find out more information about this? It's naac.co.uk. And I'm happy to talk to anybody if they need help. Great stuff. Jill, thanks very much for the update. Thank you. Deadlines for applications for these schemes are quite tight, so if you're interested, don't hang about. Let's turn to agronomy now. Welcome Sean Sparling with some timely advice as usual. Morning, Sean. Yes, good morning, Steve. Well, that whooshing sound was November then. Funny how time goes so quickly this time of year. I know my dad always used to say when the night started pulling in, it gets late early this time of year. But a dry old do, though, thankfully, after that wet and windy October we all suffered... But because of just 11 millimetres of rain for me at home and just a couple of what looked likely to be relatively dry days left in this month, drilling, spraying and tempers in general are under reasonable control, I think, in good order. So little change on the wheat front, just picking up a spot or two, a yellow rust, um, gleam, kerin, graham, kinetic in particular this week. But just like the mildew, which is widespread in those earlier drilled and now quite frothy wheat crops, particularly on the lighter land, don't even think about wasting your time or your money spraying a fungicide on it because the colder weather that's looming and the winter that's coming is going to do a far better and much cheaper job than you ever can. Mildew is likely to just dry up and die off in the frosty conditions. The yellow rust won't get any worse than it is now. It needs far better weather than that which is forecasted in order to spread. So because fungicides need the plants to be actively growing in order for them to be moved around within the plants and do their job, it's too cold for that. So just save your pennies, make a note of where you're seeing that yellow rust and make it a priority for treatment next spring. You'll find that some wheat varieties are susceptible to seedling and early infections of yellow rust, but by the spring, it'll have gone away quite nicely, um, and it'll do that whether you spray it or not, so don't waste your money. Mildew in winter barley can be severe, particularly in estuarine or coastal areas, and particularly on the lighter land where manganese deficiency is prevalent. But again, with so few options, keeping your money in your pocket makes most sense there too. Again, keep your eye on it and manage it next spring. Mildew in barley never looks pretty in the winter but the chances are you'll deal with it next spring with absolutely no impact on yield always looks worse than it is and you're unlikely to get your money back if you do spray anyway aphids get harder and harder to find in cereals in general by the way i think it's fair to say they're unlikely to cause too many issues in crops that have come up in the middle of november in fact where threshold aphids were treated around the 16th of october or so those fields haven't actually reached a further 170 growing day degrees that would trigger a second hit if we could find aphids in that time so you know just think about it cabbage stem flea beetles showing itself in some good looking oilseed rape crops plenty of larvae if you look for it so don't just assume all is calm and all is bright just because it looks good from the road as i said last week get out there cut these plants open and treat every field on its individual issues and merits if you're concerned then don't go 
putting big residual herbicide doses on those crops just yet. There's plenty of time for propizamide, 31st of January cut off, so if in doubt, leave it out. Foma light leaf spot still increasing, but not too concerning, particularly with the coming cold weather there to hold on to both of those. Quite clear this autumn, by the way, just how important those starter fertilisers, whether it be diammonium phosphate or whatever nitrogen-based fertiliser down the spout has been to establishing these crops. I have a farm where the fertiliser applicator played up in strips across the field leaving six or seven rows at a time without it and the treated plants are seven to eight leaves and up to my shins the untreated plants are still seven to eight leaves but barely up to my shoelaces and the growth stage is the same but the plant size totally different will that make a difference to final yield well we'll see at harvest but for now the bigger plants are faring far better against cabbage stem flea beetle and slugs and pigeons etc and disease levels are minimal and not concerning me at all but the smaller plants have been absolutely battered by the slugs and the pigeons are using those strips for landing practice at the moment. Sugar beet, as I said last week, prioritise lifting nutrient affected or Cercospora ravaged fields sooner rather than later, before the winter frost do too much more damage and yes, it's too early to drill spring barley just in case you were going to ask, after sugar beet, if that's where you're leaning, tends to get a bit too frothy if it comes warm late December, early January and as we saw last year, it tends to be at the wrong growth stage at the wrong time if we get a run of frosts in March and April lots and lots of blind sites last year from November, December drill, spring barley. The clue is in the name. If you're still applying glyphosate, uh, by the way, in front of the drill, make sure it gets time to work before you cultivate the land after application. It has to get to the roots and come back in order to do its job properly. That process takes far longer as conditions for growth slow. Six hours in September is nearer 48 or even 60 hours today. Ask your advisor if you're at all in doubt. And don't let your guard down when it comes to slugs. Plenty of activity. Get your bangers, flashers, whizzers, kites, whatever you use ready too as well because the pigeons are getting hungry and as we all know oilseed rape is very much dish of the day this time of year pesky pigeons and as an additional bit of information the manures and the environment agency position because despite clear information and common sense showing the contrary the environment agency despite all the pressure from mps like neil parish on the efra committee meetings with industry me included they aren't budging on that ban on spreading muck in the autumn so no organic manures from the 1st of September unless it's on to all seed rate so no cereals grassland or otherwise organic manure in the autumn as we all know is very very good for soils for worms for the soil wildlife the bacteria and the other organisms it gives available organic nutrients to crops in the spring and it reduces air pollution that means farmers are going to have to buy far more manufactured fertilizer which costs more has a massive carbon footprint in comparison to organic manures and it increases ammonia nitrate levels which are the opposite of good regarding net zero ambitions so we will keep fighting in fact I'll be in London next week doing exactly that. But just remember, if sewage sludge doesn't get applied to farmland, the Environment Agency are then at complete liberty to pump it into our rivers absolute disgrace the environment agency should hang their heads in shame it's them ruining our rivers not farmers and on that bombshell i'll see what happens in the next seven days and i will see you next week thanks as ever sean sean sparling sparling agronomy services back with us next week how about if there was an organization set up to enable farmers to understand how to produce food sustainably expanding the industry's knowledge on the environment animal welfare and positive farming skills all the while producing nutritious tasty british food 
Well, that's the vision of the School of Sustainable Farming, a tie-up between the NFU, Morrisons, McDonald's and Harper Adams University. To tell us more, here's Harper Adams Professor of Crop Science, Jim Monaghan. Morning, Jim. To start with, would you tell us how this all came about? Well, uh, clearly there's a big challenge coming up with um, trying to get agriculture towards net zero. And McDonald's, along with the NFU and Morrisons, were speaking to Harper Adams about how we could use our skill set and our access to applied research and our access to students to help them deliver solutions to their problems. But at the same time, it wasn't just about those businesses individually. So they're in a collective action in a way. So it's not just McDonald's on its own. I mean, through the NFU, it's it's lots of farmers, of course. What's the curriculum? What will the students be learning? Clearly, we're seeing a period of change coming to farming. I mean, farming has always innovated. You know, look, in Lincolnshire, famous changes have taken place there in history. So they've always looked to change. And our teaching tries to reflect that. But every now and then a big challenge comes along, which allows us to focus. And here's a big challenge moving towards net zero. And so it's allowing us at Harper to look at what we're teaching our undergrads and make sure that we're addressing the challenges they're going to have in their lifetimes. So God willing, that's sort of 40, 50 years of of them working in farming after leaving Harper. So the sorts of things they'll get in the curriculum would be things like looking at soil management, so regen ag. So looking at how you can maximise carbon sequestration, increasingly looking at things like min till, uh, in some cases, no till. So how can you reduce the amount of uh, diesel you're, you're burning whilst getting your kit over the top of the ground? But also, what can you do to maintain that structure and that the, the ability to hold carbon in the soil? And that's because I'm croppy. I think very much about crops. But of course, a lot of the challenge we have is coming out of livestock. So the sorts of things you get in the curriculum there, being more efficient, you know, lots of data needs collecting. So efficiency of livestock weight acquisition, that's going to be down to optimising feeds. You might be able to remove multiple months, maybe 10 months out of beef, for example, just by targeting your feed at the optimum levels for the the weight gain that you're looking for. And of course, every month that you've got um, an animal on your holding, every month longer than that optimum is a month more of, for example, methane emissions from uh, beef. Are you teaching them to be farmers or are you focusing really on the environmental side of things? Oh, that's a really good question, because it's quite hard to separate being a farmer from the environmental impact nowadays. The days of just, you know, farm it, sell it, move on are gone. So they have to do both. And we have to, if you want sustainability, we have to have both. But Harper Adams, we focus very much on agriculture. So we're, we're going to talk about how you can do agriculture, but in an environmentally sustainable way. And what's McDonald's involvement in all this? If you just think what's in a, a, a normal burger, all those ingredients, they're coming from different supply chains. And each of those supply chains have challenges to get towards net zero. So uh, McDonald's can say, OK, this is the real world challenge. Do you have any ideas about this? And we might be able to say, yeah, we've got research in that area. We're looking at, let's say, supplementing feed to reduce methane in cattle. Or you could say we're looking at how you can maybe uh, increase carbon sequestration, regen ag in lettuce, for example. Potatoes, big challenge. How do you do regen ag with potatoes when you always have to shift a load of soil 
to get potatoes lifted. So uh, they can come to us with real world challenges and we can then try to use our own research, go out to the wider world of research and see what we can bring back in. And then we can say to McDonald's farmers and growers, we can say, OK, here's some training courses for you. And also that allows us to sort of set our sights on these important issues and then we can feed that back into our undergraduate teaching as well. OK. And at the end of their studies, what? They, they, is it a normal agricultural qualification? Uh, so there's a mix of people then coming into this school. So you've got undergraduates who will leave with their standard normal qualifications. We've then got industry coming back in and they can get accredited training. So CPD. So there's a portfolio of accredited training available that's being developed. And then apprenticeships, they then come out again from within this structure. They come out with their qualifications. And how is this being delivered? Is, is, do they come to you? Are we online? Do you go to them? How's it work? Uh, undergraduates, it's face to face. CPD, it's a mix, isn't it? It's tough getting people off their farm for a long time. So some of it's going to be done at workshops, maybe on farm demonstrations. Some of it can be done online and some of it could be done where actually people come in to a central location. It could be Harper. It could be somewhere else and, and actually have workshop and training that way. When does this start and where could somebody find out more details if they're interested in taking it further? So it started in the putting it together phase. Uh, I would imagine that next year you'd start seeing courses uh, being made available. And the best place to look is going to be the Harper Adams website, but also McDonald's and NFU and Morrison's will be signposting through their grower networks as well. Fascinating stuff. Jim, thank you very much indeed for uh, explaining that so well and joining us on the farming programme. My pleasure. Thank you. To the markets now with Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. How's things this week? Good morning, Steve. Latif and London wheat futures markets made new contract highs this week before tailing off prior to the Thanksgiving holiday in the US, and their markets succumbed to some profit taking, aided by overbought technical signals and the strong US dollar. Fundamentally, nothing has changed in the global milling wheat market, which has tightened further due to the lower quality Australian crop. Fresh news has been sparse aside from the steady flow of tenders by importers, including Turkey, whose currency is under extreme pressure, and the expectation that Egypt will tender soon for their January needs. Global maritime freight rates have retraced significantly, which may increase the competitiveness between exporters. Russian export taxes continue to rise, whilst at the same time the ruble weakens on a lower energy prices, which may encourage the Russian farmers to increase their sales pace. The HDB released their first UK wheat 2021-2022 balance sheet today, which has the UK exportable surplus at 557000 which should not be a burdensome amount, as it is competitively priced and is currently trading to the near continent. Looking at barley this week, the malting barley market continues to find support from both global grain markets and steady malster demand domestically and globally. Concerns regarding the quality of the Australian barley crop add fuel to the fire. International malting barley values have risen by around $70 a tonne since the end of September. The HDB early bird survey published at the end of the week indicated a small increase in the US winter wheat plantings, plus 2.8%, but the forecast of a reduction of 7.7% in the UK spring barley area has been forecast. The reduced spring barley area will keep the 2022 malting premiums steady for the time being. Oilseed rape, a quiet week for fiscal trading, but a busy week for Matif, driven by the concerns over increasing COVID cases across Europe and the potential effect on demand, not only for veg oils, but also for crude oils. 
Buyers continued to try to reduce bid levels without any sellers and the traded market continued to be liquid. Further pressure came from the firmer sterling against the euro as the economic data fueled bets the Bank of England would raise their interest rates at one point. Chicago soybeans lost ground during the week and traders squared up their positions prior to the Thanksgiving weekend. Canadian canola markets continue to hit market highs due to concerns that the final crop estimates will not only be reduced again, but were wrong in the first place. So looking at wheat this week, feed wheat for December 236 to 238, February 238 to 240, May 240 to 243, and November new crop 203 to 206. Milling wheat premiums for old crop are circa 45 to 48 pounds. Feed barley for December is 215 to 218, February 218 to 221, May 221 to 224, and November new crop 180 to 183. Malting barley premiums are currently 50 to 55 pounds. And lastly, oilseed rape, December 570 to 573, February 573 to 577, May 577 to 580, and November 470 to 475. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it's turning cold. It's also turning into December, so no real surprises there. Temperatures no higher than 1 or 2 Celsius today, with a northerly in the mid-teens MPH mostly dry, though. Expect a frost tonight, lows down to minus 1 into a slightly warmer Monday, with highs around 4 as the wind eases down into single figures and mostly dry again. A warmer midweek with highs for Tuesday and Wednesday just touching double figures, brisk westerlies and showers likely for the rest of the week. Turning colder again on Thursday with temperatures around 2 to 4 Celsius. Some heavy rain overnight into Friday, which warms up again with showers likely. Well, that's it for this week's farming programme. A reminder that there are several ways you can listen. Links FM on FM and DAB, on the website, the app and podcast, or just ask your smart speaker to play the farming programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next Sunday, have a good week.